to the Private Matters podcast on behalf of the BAPD with your hosts, Simon Thackeray and Rachel Darby. All views on this podcast, whether relevant or irreverent, are our own and are for entertainment purposes. And there may well be some educational benefits. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Private Matters BAPD podcast and tonight we're very lucky to have the elusive Zach Cara. Now I met Zach a few years ago and immediately thought he was one of those people who um, I get you and I get on with um, because he shared these these values um, that I had at the time and still have. So I thought what would be quite good is to get him to talk today about his patient journey. I think this is something that people could learn a lot from. So evening, Zach. Hi, Zach. Evening. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Oh, I'm very well tonight. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, basically, I'm, I'm here pen and paper ready to, to steal the patient journey ideas. Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm happy to share. Uh, <laughs> depends how depends how, how much you probe and, and how much detail you want in different aspects of things. But yeah, I'm, look, Simon, when you said uh, we get on, uh, I remember that first chance encounter of uh, what he means, Rachel, is that uh, I basically twisted his arm at the end of a, uh, an event, a CPD event, and uh, I was going up to see a then girlfriend at the time in Sheffield. And I was like, you're a Yorkshireman. Can I jump in your car, buddy? That was yeah. it. <laughs> Basically, just this random bloke he got jumped. in the car. <laughs> because I couldn't be honest, I couldn't be out 45 minutes before. And we got on like a house on fire, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, it, it, <laughs> just it, it, just it, talked it, a load of nonsense all the way back to Sheffield. And still have done every time we've met. Been watching your um, the development of your practice, um, Smile Stories, in Spornmouth, isn't it? Yeah. So how long have you been open now? So we've been there th- uh, three years. So the backstory behind Smile Stories is a little bit of a quirky one in the sense that it's not really a traditional story. I mean, it's probably not really the, the full content for this evening. It's not really the topic, but um, almost by hook or by crook, almost got railroaded into buying a practice because um, at the time I was room renting, I was sort of self-promoting, self-marketing um, uh, the work that I wanted to do because, but ultimately as an associate, I'd never found uh, an ideal location with the right infrastructure around me, the right people around me. Um one thing led to another after COVID, essentially the guy who owned that clinic, I was room renting in a pretty sleepy little kind of mixed practice, inverted commas, you know what that kind of means. Um, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of investment in the place for, for years and years and, and probably decades. And, you know, it was like the kind of place where um, Tash, who's now my missus, ended up uh, coming in with me a little early for some of these sessions and like giving the carpet a haircut because it was all frayed around <laughs> the edges. And, you know, the, the stairs are the kind of the place where you'd trip up the stairs constantly because the little treads weren't on properly. And oh. it's just a nightmare. I know the place. And, um, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you can just like imagine, it, can't you? Like fish tank in the corner with the algae all up the walls of the fish tank <laughs> oh. and like, Artex on the ceiling. It was awful. Absolutely awful. Dead fish. Yeah, the kind of place where you could easily turn up and actually I'll tell you the the without going too off topic the thing I always used to remember about that place was that the very small team used to let us in. We'd do evenings and weekends. So I worked Saturdays and Sundays for two or three years building this thing up um, to, to, because I don't really know what else to do. I was, you know, I, I, what I wanted to do was, was me. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to do the best dentistry I could and I hadn't found the right place. So um, I remember coming in and uh, setting up in the room upstairs, bringing all my equipment up, boxes and boxes of my own equipment and stuff. And they turned the lights off downstairs and locked us in. <gasps> oh, 
yeah, no. that kind of practice. And I was like, <laughs> what is wrong with all these people? What is wrong with people in dentistry? Anyway. Uh, so yeah, well, but he did say he was elusive, Simon. He was that elusive. They didn't even say. know he was an upstairs. There you go. See, I'm not known for being quiet at their age. So um, <laughs> yeah, and the uh, the one thing led to another. After COVID, um, the chappy who owned that practice retired inevitably. Um, couldn't wear the COVID space suits and all the rest of it. And um, yeah, it, it it was born. It's interesting the way you say you sort of fell into practice ownership um, because, you know, the way you seem to have done stuff, it looks very, very, very well planned. So you might have fallen into it, but obviously as soon as you fell into it, you'd got an idea about what you wanted it to look like and how you wanted it to feel. Where did you know, that... When you're growing up and um, you kind of rebel against everything your parents uh, stood for, it turns out that all of that stuff was super relevant. And uh... Rachel can tell you all about that. I get the Go impression... On, Rachel, Ra- yeah, no, I get, the, I get the impression that Rachel was quite rebellious when she was younger. Oh, right, I see. That's what I you mean. wasn't. I was actually a very good... Uh, girl, my mother will attest to that. My mother listened to this. You seem to be very well planned. Like you had this strategy in mind, this plan in mind. This is how I want my practice to be. Or or is it just really your personality shining through with practice? Yeah, look, I I was very, very lucky. uh, Sort of chance encounter with um, my um, co-practice owner, um, Gareth Edwards, who's a fabulous chap. And um, essentially we met on Instagram because both of us were self-promoting down in Bournemouth and uh, for the kind of same audience. And um, we realized that one plus one could equally easily equal three. And, um, you know, the essentially it was a story of either you're going to compete with each other, or you're going to collaborate. And, um, you know, we get like a house on fire and, and a lot of my roots of my parents' record shop um, and grafting many, many hours behind the scenes. And um, some of the kind of, service orientated aspects of that i think come from that um and gareth's uh you, i always say is the white the hardest working white guy i've ever met and, you know <laughs> the the, the, the uh the fella uh, puts in the hours and i swear to god um you know he's got a backstory like like me in the sense that he's still got his orange apron from his b&q days as a 16 year old 17 year old or whatever and uh you know he's done call center jobs and god knows what else so yeah we got on like a house in fi- on fire and he really understood that people matter and I think it's both of those backstories that inform everything that we've created at the clinic, yeah. I think it's important that you remember where you've come from um, because this is, again, this is what I found um, having worked through university and in shops and things like that. And you, you realise you're either a people person or not a people person. Um, and yeah. Thankfully, I am. Yeah, and you adapt to the world around you and um, in, in lots of ways. But I think if you haven't got the... Uh, core and, and the, the roots behind that, which is, you know, a, a lot of uh, dentistry, particularly in this country, is done on a conveyor belt. And um, I think uh, I think it's very hard to unlearn those kind of ingrained, um, almost character traits of you as as people that people out there in dentistry. I'm sure listeners to this will um, know colleagues who kind of uh, like fun people in the staff area, and you know they're behind the scenes. They get on like a house on fire, and somehow. Uh, when they put on their white tunic, they turn into dentist mode and they almost put on a different, like like a different cloak and they're not themselves. And that's never been me. It's never been Gareth. It's never been what we've kind of created as a culture. If you say the word authentic, it almost sounds like you're staging it or you, you're creating it on purpose. Um, almost, you know, 
borderline pretentious way but it's, it's never been that it's just us doing us um and if we're having fun we carry on that's always been the vibe behind it you've got to be one of the world's greatest actors to be a dentist anyway i think yeah yeah you do you put you, you put your veil on don't you and no matter what bs is happening at home that morning uh, no matter how difficult it is gareth will come in and his little girl um back in the day when she was a baby would have been sick down his top and god knows what else and you know to some extent you share that because you know that, that's even more you and your patients and clients i think really value that these days particularly and it's human yeah it's real it's very it's real, human you know. in nature yeah and it's okay to it's okay to have um things that blip in our day and people are forgiving and understanding if they're the right people so i think that's a really core thing behind Garrett, um simon and i uh, we were having a conversation the other day rachel about the fact that um a lot of practices out there almost think it's abnormal to select or not over select but filter the wrong patient base or client base prospective clients and patients are filtering themselves and it's only part of our real duty to 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 continue with that like there's no point you're only going to do it's going to become a lose-lose if you if you don't filter for the right audience so is that part... absolutely i had one today that i feel a bit I'm, I'm still a bit undecided whether we're going to get along or not uh normally my <clears throat> tso she's very very friendly i uh, takes a little bit of a while for me to warm up to people. So I get her to find out the mundane stuff and why she's there. And immediately, you know, the, the patient looked at my picture and was just like, is this you, Dr. Darby BDS? And I was so close to saying, but thankfully I managed to shut up. I'm going, a flag. And MSC and really. It should have been a good way to filter to be myself. fair. There's flags going off all over there, right? <laughs> And then she was like, um, I just don't understand why dentistry is so expensive. I'm not disparaging your education. I just had to sit there and smile because I was like, it's best for me just not to say anything. But then she warmed up. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, a child passed away a few years ago, certain things like that. So I was thinking, well, maybe there's more to it. I feel like she was, once I explained everything and showed her and, you know, wowed her with the, the technology side of it and going into so much detail, she warned, but I, I still have got that little bit of a red flag with it. And I think it's true. It's, I'm not Rachel, doing anything until I'm absolutely sure. She wants an implant, but she doesn't want to pay an implant. Right. So she's so on she wants something done. Champagne ideas and lager budget. She needs to, yeah, or she needs to see the value of it. So I'm not too sure which yeah. one it is yet. It needs yeah. a bit more. And, and to be fair, you know, the one thing I learned through years and years of NHS 111 dentistry on Saturdays and Sundays and all the rest of it is never judge a book by its cover. And, um, you know, it's inevitable that somebody who's in a mindset, particularly pain, particularly some recent hardships in their life, something that's gone wrong and they, you know, they're not, they're not going to come out with that with the first sentence. But the if they walk in the door and they're maybe a little rude or aggressive, that isn't necessarily that they are rude or aggressive. That's the, an expression of what's happening in their own lives in some way. And that's, you know, uh, people can't always reason with that. It's almost like, you know, you have to kind of approach it a little bit like you would with, with a toddler, you know, and anxiety can do that to people. Um, so yeah, definitely understanding people's viewpoints in that sense is, is a worthwhile thing. But the thing for me is that that doesn't happen in a treatment room. So the thing that is is repeated as a mantra in our clinic is that treatment treatment room chair chair time is, is uh, sacred. That treatment time is for a clinician to do productive things with the people that have already been pre-filtered, pre pre-screened in appropriate ways without being standoffish, or rude or difficult, or we can't treat everyone, you know, like almost like we're creating some sort of like, mm. you know, um, 
we choose you type of suspect. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's for me. That's one step slightly too far. But there are certainly um, there are skills to how to acquire and choose wisely. And I genuinely believe it's only win-win. If you give somebody the best experience possible, you have to choose the right people to put into that funnel for the best experience possible. My big red flag at the start is if they're rude on the phone to reception. Because I think that is, it's like being rude to the waiter, isn't it? You think somebody is below and you're really rude on the phone. I'm just like, don't book them in. And I give my um, my staff, Erica, full control going like, if they're rude to you or they're not nice, don't book them in. I'll be even angrier if you book them into me and I have to see them. Because, yeah, because they're Erica's not, going they're to not accept... nice people. They're not in here. Yeah, and Erica's probably going to have to accept multiple um, episodes and multiple encounters with this person that, that hasn't really experienced, uh, it hasn't um, demonstrated that they're the kind of person who's... That, that can experience what you guys do best. Do you, do you kind of exactly. get what I mean? There's also th- it... you need a barrier sorry, to entry. Ahead. You need a barrier to entry, um, and and I think this is something that we're probably a bit reluctant to discuss sometimes, or to actually admit should happen because we seem to think we should be everyone, all things to everyone. That's and an I... NHS mindset. Well. It can be, but also I think there's also there are people who will treat um, anyone, and you know this may get edited out. It may not get edited out, but <laughs> they are chasing the money, and everything that walks through the door is seen as a dollar sign. And I think that is one of the things that goes wrong then with communication um, values. Shared values are not necessarily the same. And complaints stem from it, be it GDC complaints or just normal litigation through the courts. And I'm I think sure you've seen Simon in your expert witness work, med negligence care claims, and in the few that I've done, the thing that repeats itself is that somebody's expectation levels were beyond what were um, demonstrated to them, um, set appropriately for them, um, and really it could have been stemmed months you can you can see the, the 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 characteristic flow of how things turn out right and it escalates and escalates and it only takes one problem like a clinical issue a fit of a crown that didn't quite go well and suddenly your whole merry-go-round of 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 nonsense unravels itself and suddenly that centrifuge goes and before you know it that that thing turns into a thing that didn't it never needed to become it just amplifies but here's the thing dentistry is a team game And I think through a lot of dentists being educated in the way that they are in a departmentalized kind of way and generally being kind of control freaks quite often, you end up with a situation of lack of trust within the team. You end up with people kind of not in the team kind of going, oh, I didn't know that was my response. I I didn't know I could say no. And that's, again, something to instill in a culture of a team from day one. We actually have a document that everyone in the team, you know, you know, you guys know how training works. You can't just show somebody a piece of paper and go, da da, they've got it. But it's something that we refer back to constantly is green, amber, red flags. It's a document that we put together, a one A4 piece of paper, and there's three rows on it. One of them is expectation levels of that person. Green flags would be things like that person, they openly discuss um, their fees early. They kind of on the same wavelength of us as us. Amber flags might be things that are deadlines, but maybe realistic deadlines. I'm getting married in a year, getting married in 18 months. Um, somebody who says, I want perfect teeth. That's, amber red flag that's beyond a red flag amber red flag well not always not always because that person might not it's a little bit like when somebody phones up and goes um do you do nhs 
you don't bin those people off immediately. You test. There's some test questions and there's some responses, some clever ways to kind of navigate that. But it's often because they didn't know what else to say. When you probe into that, if you then ask questions like, for example, um, how would you rate your teeth right now? If it's a small kind of approach that, you know, you're doing something cosmetically focused, how would you rate them right now? Where would you like to be? And they go, 10. Bosh. Red flag. But that question didn't need asking in the treatment room. That question could have been asked by a care coordinator, a treatment coordinator weeks ago. So let's right? get on to this this process that you use, because I think a lot of us are still, I, I certainly am, I'm still asking a lot of the questions in the in the treatment room. Um, I'm too set in my ways uh, as an old fart to change that much. Uh, I'm a little 50-50, yeah. But I have got a very, very good TCO who does a lot of my Invisalign discussions not the consent um or anything like that but you know has a as a a pre a fact find if you like and i think that is that the way that you're doing this or you know you're going into even more depth than that what what is the mechanism without giving away any trade secrets I ring up. Share, I don't think any of this is a secret. It's the philo- the philosophy behind it and the exact mechanism for it are two different things, right? Um, and if you want to know more, by the way, feel free to hit me on your social media and whatever else. Just message. I, I, I'm happy to share that. You know what I'm like with this stuff. So I'm, I'll send you whatever I need to send you. And you've done the same for me. And that's how like-minded people grow over the years, right? Um, the answer to your question relates to where is this person in their journey? If somebody inquires at a clinic... We have to ask them fairly early in the journey, where is it that you heard, heard about us, by the way? So one of the first responses any one of our team picking up the phone ask is, oh, great, glad you found us. Who is it that put you in touch with us, by the way? And they intentionally ask that because the main way that most people find us these days is through friends and friends and family and word of mouth. Now, even if you know that person came through social media, even if you know they came through the website, If you ask them that question, what is that doing? That's immediately increasing your credibility as a clinic. That's boosting authority. You're making notes, Simon. It boosts authority. (laughs) I can't It boosts authority as a clinic. And what it does is it means that that person is in a slightly different headspace. Because all you're trying to do at any given moment is make sure this person is on a journey, if they're the right person, from somebody who's kind of a bit suspicious of you. Because... Let's face it, if they're phoning a new clinic, there's got to be a reason why they're not going to an old clinic or they've not been to a dental clinic in months or years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Through this journey of curiosity, whereby you're they're seeing, smelling, feeling, and whatevering, the things that you do best, because then they turn into prospective potential patients and clients. So the next step would be, can I tell this person, show this person, the things that we do best and whether that might synchronize in some way? So, for example, it might be that we start to ask our treatment coordinators, start to ask the right questions at the right time. They might ask things like, um, what is it that's that's brought this on now for you? What, what is it? Why now? Something happening in your life, by the way. And then suddenly you unravel the story of the wedding on the horizon or the this or the whatever. Oh, no, I've just had enough of my teeth busting every five minutes. And it's this one feeling that keeps they can't make it stick. And what you're thinking is. Yeah, no wonder, because there's naffle left. And why is it these days we don't as, you know, you said you're old-fashioned, but I'm sure you're tech-friendly enough for somebody to be able to send you a picture, right? Even if it is by bloody email, right? How hard is it to get somebody to go, could you just pick us a picture of that over, by the way? Do you know what we do as a clinic? 
is that we're really happy to share our uh, kind of open um, feedback about um, the things that are going on. We can't give you a, a full in-depth um, clinical opinion by email, by WhatsApp or whatever, but our dentists are very happy to have a look at your picture and I, I might be able to grab one of our clinicians to give you a little bit of um, our viewpoint on things. So once in a while, I'll jump on a voice note on WhatsApp and ping, and ping a 45-second bit of something back. You know, like how hard is it to just kind of say what you see? I'm not giving them a diagnosis. But what I am doing is telling them subtly, we're the kind of people who can be bothered. You're telling them that you care and you're showing Bang them on. that you care. You're demonstrating it. But you don't win that battle, Simon, as you know, through saying you care. No. You have to show them. Don't tell me this anesthetic is going to be painless. We'll do. But, you know, it, it, in a nice, calm and considered way of, of explaining that. But demonstrate it. It's as proved. soon as you've done it once, twice, thrice, they will be back and loyal for a lifetime. So play the long game. We're, get, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But that's how you keep people within this to mean that they are they are members and advocates and raving fans and people that sing your, you know, the kind of people that send a Google review with unsolicited. You didn't even ask for that, but they jumped on Google that night just cause. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people would love to be able to say they've got patients who do that. And I think a lot of us have, but you explain it in such a, an open way that I think a lot of people think the way to do this is to go on a course that teaches them how to do it. So what tips would you give people who would like to emulate this kind of ability? Because you can't really teach empathy, so you can't say be empathetic. Is it always empathy? So put it this way, our approach that we repeat constantly is to our team is what we do is choreographed to some extent, to some extent. It's not scripted. It's not a mantra that's didactic. It's not a dogma. You do you, but the gist of it always belongs to the brand. And what we've created is always the same flow. So we're very open as a clinic, as an organization to tell people what we do and what we don't do. In fact, it says on our website, it literally says the words on our general dentistry page, what we do and what we don't do, sorry. And it says point blank, because we think comprehensively, we do proactive dentistry. We, If you had a problem with your roof, a leak, would you wait for your roofer to come by when the when storms have come for the winter? Or would you prefer them to do something to make good when the sun shines? Our approach to dentistry and what our clients choose is, is the proactive approach. So sorry, we don't offer general dentistry, not at the moment anyway. What we do, though, is we can solve things for people once they're in a headspace of i don't want that again now that might be slightly controversial because people kind of go well in the nhs you know what i've learned is that um you have to do everything for everyone so my one big tip would be you don't have to be everything to everyone and if you've come from that or you know that kind of background that classic mantra of you graduate you're supposed to do a few a few years in the nhs to cut your teeth you know you get to be good at what you do well, my opinion is you're de-skilling for as many years as you're in that system because you're hamstrung and handcuffed by targets. And then ultimately, so to come back to your point, Simon, the elephant in the room here is that you work in organizations and I'm not doing down corporates because there's plenty of good ones, but I've walked into uh, locum days at big corporate practices with a huge whiteboard on the ceiling, um, sorry, on the, on the, on the uh, staff room wall. And there's barely any space apart from the ceiling. All of this board is covered, right? What does it say in, in biggest, biggest, boldest letters? 
What does it say? Targets. Big Brother's Targets. watching. <laughs> Targets. Targets. What an awful word to use in healthcare. Targets. Yeah, absolutely. And you know the agree. thing that we do constantly with our treatment coordinators, we call them care coordinators. We like to be a bit different. We approach it in a slightly different way. Is that I've never ever been. In fact, we proactively tell them constantly, you will never be target driven. Yeah, I'm the same. I will never target drive you. You can't target drive you. And do you know what happens is they make friends with people all day, every day. What do they talk about? Do I sit there and go, get on with it because you're wasting time? You're never wasting time making friends with people. They chat and they and literally they're having the best time of their lives some days. And I know full well they're not because actually they know the workload is still waiting to be done. And they're thinking, mm, drinking my coffee, but actually I've got so much now. <laughs> but they're playing. Yeah, that does happen. It's a long game, isn't it? It is a long game. Long game. Playing the long game. And you know because what? Not... They'll come back and they'll be they'll be the kindest. And your little lady, bless her, if she had uh, today, um, <laughs> if she'd maybe been filtered in some way, you wouldn't have felt that pressure personally. It's okay. You can adapt that still. You've done some of that role in the treatment room. Big deal, right? So you've not failed in any way. But we're trying to save that chair time as sacred. So you've, you said there, Zach, that basically you're asking your requirement of your staff is that they make friends with people. That's not exactly rocket science, is it? That's the thing. How how hard is the clinical work if it's on a bedrock of people that are willing and able to receive the dentistry through having been through some sort of mechanism? Now, that's probably a strong word to use, but I'll tell you what I mean by mechanism. To skip ahead a little bit, and I can come back to any of this stuff if you guys want to delve in deeper into to what I'm talking about, but... If we skip ahead a little bit in the clinic that within the process we've created for general dentistry and feel free to steal this if you like and adapt it plagiarize it whatever no person enters the clinic through just having a health check or a checkup with a with a dentist what's the classic in most practices new patient checkup yeah well number one why do you call it a checkup nobody wants to be checked up on the only time i was checked up on was when my mum used to call me incessantly on my first nokia mobile phone with a bloody aerial on it as a teenager <laughs> Don't check up on me. It's not nice. So we've adapted. We call it a health check. But we don't do that in isolation because the approach that we have to, with our patients and clients is proactive. It's preventative. It's on a bedrock, bedrock of a relationship. So we combine a health check and a hygiene visit together for every single, without fail, new client or patient in the practice. You opt into it. It's a package. And actually, you have the hygiene visit first. And again, oh, feel free, feel free oh, to steal this. Have the hygiene visit first. Do you know what you do? You show off some tech during the hygiene visit. A hygiene therapist, absolutely brilliant. And what they can do is 3D scan every single person when they walk in. And we have a three-shape scanner, um, a couple of arterias and a couple of bits and bobs. But the three-shape's brilliant because you don't pay any extra for scan sleeves. You stick a tip on, you take a scan, you let it process, you do your hygiene care, you focus in on the thing that the person in the chair has told you is their main priority today and you make friends with them and ultimately you never hurt them it doesn't sound because you like know it's too you're playing the long game you can it? you can solve that ice, uh, that inflammation later why, why are you trying to get rid of all the calculus today it's pointless it's a waste of everyone's time because if you lose them now they ain't coming back in six months not coming back in 12 months so you've, you've played the lose-lose game there nonsense so what we do is we let that 3d scan process and our hygiene therapists give them a little mini guided tour of their mouth by the end of the visit and you know what they go do you know what we do as a, as a team we're, we're definitely a collaboration compared to most practices you'll never see just one clinician and one dentist in our team we play the team game and so 
what I'll do is I'll spend some time with a couple of our dentists behind the scenes. I'll show them the, your 3D scans. I'll tell them, tell them about what your goals are and what it is. Why is it you come to see us? You've told me, isn't it, that, you know, um, this denture of yours just bounces about all, all the time and you can't really chew comfortably and you catch your cheeks constantly. And obviously that one on the top left is your main priority. So how about this? I'll make sure we choose the best dentist in our team that's most appropriate for you. Do you know what that also does? It gives us an opportunity to refer them where needs be. The ones who the other day Tash said to me, there's not a chance in hell you're treating her because the chair will not go back beyond 30 degrees. And I went, well, I'm, standing. I'm not standing up. My back hurts already. I'm not in my 40s, so no, not happening. Do you know what we're going to do? We're going to refund her the rest of her package of treatment and tell her, I don't think we'll be best suited to help you. And I'll tell her point blank. And do you know what I can also do? I can use a bit of tech. I can give her a guided tour from my own perspective on my uh, computer screen on an app. Feel free to steal this idea. If you don't use it already, it's called Loom. It's you, the talking head on the screen, recording your voice, explaining what you see. I'm going to give her five minutes of free advice and free information about what we see in her mouth. I can see some red gums. I can see a brown area on a tooth. It might be a cavity in that tooth. Again, I can't give you this as a diagnosis, but what I can tell you is if you were my sister, mother, whatever, I would recommend that you visit a dentist who can treat you best, but standing up. I'm sorry to say none of our clinicians are able to because of the layout of our treatment rooms and so on and so on and so on. Why is that, why is that so naughty to say that? I tell, don't tell think me it that. is. I think that is it's actually not. perfectly reasonable. Um, especially if you haven't seen the patient yet, you haven't developed a, a duty of care, although that's probably never been tested in a court. In the three, four, five times we've done this, over the hundreds of people that we've seen through this process, the only thing I've had in response is positive feedback. I can imagine you would as well. Because you've Do you been know what honest. people said to us? Oh my God, you guys are so honest. That's amazing. Thank you so much to that dentist who did that for me, yada, yada, yada. And thanks for that £95 refund you gave me. From their point of view, they got a hygiene visit. From our point of view, we did not get visit after visit after visit mm -hmm. and a lifetime of stressful days. So if you've walked into a clinic as an associate and seen a day schedule and gone heart sink, heart sink, heart sink, heart sink, well, it's probably by your own design or the clinic's design or failure of design. I'd agree with that. I, I say this now um, with my current patient base, I've spent... Well, 27 years in my practice and I have selected in those patients I want to see and those patients who want to see me and it is literally we are singing from the same hymn sheet the one, they've either changed their opinion of me I've had to subtly change my opinion of some of them so I'm prepared to do that but primarily if you treat the people who appreciate what you do get on with you and like you for who you are you don't tend to experience half as many problems as trying to be everything to everybody. The jack of all trades. We are we do tend to be jack of all trades as general dentists. And there is almost that requirement that you've got to be able to do everything. And I think it's okay to be a good generalist, but it's mm. as you said, it's also okay to say, I think this practitioner would suit you best because the you know, your personality fits with theirs, your skill set or their skill set fits with what you need at this moment in time. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I think that that would be the perfect match for you. But do you think that the public, the, you know, the public have to take a bit of responsibility for it? 
dentistry has changed and hasn't changed so much you know in the past 20 years we've seen massive leaps with um, the scanners 3d printing seric machines the cbcts and whatnot but i'd probably say you know the, the olden days dentists um maybe i'm not including you in this simon but they could do bloody well everything you know they could rip out a wisdom tooth you know they could do a load of fillings all within five minutes. They'd give you a bit of sedation, maybe even a bit of GA in the chair. They would get it all done, have a bit of ortho at the same time. You know, they were proper generalists. And I think that's a skill that has been somewhat lost or diluted down um, through primarily probably undergraduate education. And it all took five minutes. And I feel that in still the public's mind, it's dentistry shouldn't be more than five minutes the, the public don't value it and they still see us as um a one-stop shop whereas if you go to the gp you're not going to go god you know um i've got an embolism can you just take it out for me now please no you'd be referred oh i've got a little tumor can you just you know slice it off no you're going to be referred on to secondary pathway and so forth but i feel the public just aren't there with dentistry yet so whose responsibility is it it's our responsibility now to teach them. And, and yeah, I feel like I'm swimming. I bet, bet you guys do most days. You're swimming against the tide for a lot of people who are new yeah. to any practice because they, they're never going to come in with, you know, the 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 ideal story from a previous practice because they're still there. Yeah. They're still seeing Simon because yeah. he's their guy. He's been their guy for 30 years. It, they'll carry on going there. So every encounter with somebody new, whether they're a new nurse you work alongside, who's got a viewpoint and a, an instilled bias from previous practices they worked in. And that's a friggin' hard thing to change. Oh, I bet, God, bet you yeah, guys have found is, that. that. How is. do you untrain somebody who's become routine to, we have it, they had it the other day with a brand new nurse. I said to a point blank in an interview, and she was kind of taken back a little bit. And I said, there is one thing which I'm going to say it like it is. What do you do think it. you might, I, well, I told her, you know, what, what is it you think would annoy me the most about working with you right now? That's what I literally said in an interview. What would annoy you the most about working What would annoy with? any clinician or me working with you right now today? And she went, what? And she thought it was something personal, right? She's like, oh, God, is it my tattoo? Is it my, is it, what is that? Is it, look at my it face. Did I frown too much or whatever? Or my nails? Or I went, it's the fact that you're going to be ingrained into a routine of banging and crashing instruments when I'm giving my patient or client a debrief at the end of yeah. the, the, the appointment, the visit. You're going to be banging drawers mid-treatment because I've got a funny feeling you're working in the kind of environment that there is not a chance that you've been given sufficient time to prep your treatment room and have the appropriate things out and ready. Is that fair to say? And she went, yeah. And I went, and I went, do you think that might be a bit annoying for a lot of clinicians? And she went, nobody's ever told me that. So again, whose responsibility is it? It's the profession's responsibility to reorganize this, rejig this, because otherwise, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Sorry, guys. Well, that's the definition. Sorry, it's an old profession. How it is? A profession doing it. I think you just don't have a chance with NHS. You know, it is. 10-minute checkups at the very best. You know, you might get 15 for a new patient. Opt out. Oh, well, I mean, th th that that is... <laughs> it sounds easy to say, um, but a lot of... I think a lot of clinicians have still got that fear factor that they won't or can't make that leap. Um, and then they, they see some of the processes that we go through now and particularly practices like yours the the sea change that it needs to go from one to the other is huge and yours hasn't yours hasn't been an overnight 
change. This is I, I know that you've developed this over a period of years. And I think it for younger practitioners, looking at someone like yourself who's decided how things should be and how you want something to sound, feel, smell and touch in your experience has taken you a long time to sort of refine. And I think a lot of people want the success now. They want it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other aspect to that, thank you, by the way, Simon, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it has been a labour of a lot of graft and a lot of, uh, like your both of your practices, a lot of labour, sometimes not a lot of love. <laughs> created the kind of environment and ecosystem culture that i would be i would bite somebody's arm off to be an associate in because yeah. when you create these things it looks like you're an overnight success but that, that how long did that take to make you make well, how long do you take to make that overnight success it's usually 5 10 15 years i was going to say it's many yeah. overnights um, yeah but i think a lot of people think that they can make that success quickly just by going on courses or you know, it's not about the skills that you've got necessarily clinically as well. It's almost a given that you've got to have those clinical skills and you invest in them. But to actually then provide them and be allowed to provide them in that kind of environment, that I think that is what a lot of the younger associates and, and younger practitioners need to be aware mm. that there's a there's almost an intangible cost. You haven't spent money going on courses to learn how to be like this i've read a lot of books i've learned a lot from other organizations and other industries and you have to use a bit of nous and you have to go on a few kind of uh, fact find, finding trips you go to manchester and you have a, a great weekend but your eyes and ears are open and you you adapt and you kind of pull a little bit of this and a bit of that and go that's cool i really love that gareth told me that uh, he got something in the post from monzo you know the bank and it was a it was a really shiny gold envelope or purple envelope. I can't remember something that really stood out. And he opened it. It was like that's cool. That's really cool. They basically saying thank you for joining our bank and some sort of cool thing, a QR code, and God knows what else. Feel free to adapt whatever you like. But we've we've what, got a version of that. But what did you actually get with that? Is it just a thank you card? It, it's a thank you because as soon as you do something. It's a nice reciprocation to have something back. So if I say to Simon, yeah, I'm going to go ahead with his proposed £10,000 treatment plan, what do you do straight away? Go spend it. Go spend it. <laughs> it's probably a bit overkill to do what some clinics <laughs> have known done in the past, like send them flowers. And it's a bit like, yeah. oh, it makes me go a bit ick inside and a bit kind of cringe, shudder, weird. If you uh, can send but... me flowers, can you just give me the discount that you would have spent Yeah, yeah, on exactly, because that's the first thing. You plan. haven't yet demonstrated the value. I feel more I now have to definitely go ahead with it. I don't feel like I've got wiggle room. I don't think I've got, I can smell yeah, say no. that in. Okay, well, our mm -hmm. approach to it is that you get something in reciprocation and usually they get something that's relevant to their plan. They get a physical thing. and um, So what, what would you give, Zach? Because I've actually been reading a, a, a book about this. It's it's an American, so oh, we can be a bit, a bit too American. No offence to the Americans, but, you know. And he was like, patients expect, you know, it's about loyalty versus satisfaction. Satisfaction is like, you know, okay, I had this. This is what I was expecting. I expect you to pull my tooth. That's fine. And I paid the bill. Loyalty is going beyond that satisfaction. Like, you did something for me that I completely wasn't expecting. And now I'm that raving fan. I'm I'm that loyal person, even if it's 
you know, fixing a cock up in a in a very, very different and certain way that leaves the person going, ah, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Oh, okay, this that's really, really good. I'm going to go and tell somebody going like, this happened, but my God, they did it this way. It's brilliant. Okay, I'll give an example of how you take somebody who was already, uh, let's say, in favour of us after some good experiences, turning around her mindset of old-fashioned, uncomfortable dentistry. She said, it's really over-formal. They barely talk to me and yada, yada, yada. Three or four composites done on her plan. She's moving forward with something cosmetically focused in the future. By the way, that's a nice, neat way to do things. And definitely think of something I'd recommend in phases. So we plan our, we call them stories for our clients, but treatment plans, we plan them in phases. And she was coming to the end of phase one. She was on our membership plan. She came for a hygiene visit one day and uh, an ex-receptionist. She wasn't, she's an ex-receptionist because of this. But she, turns out in hindsight, she'd booked an appointment and told her about it, this lady. She came on the train that day, nine months pregnant with back pain on the train to this visit. And it wasn't in the diary. Ooh. There was nothing in the diary and there was no way of wriggling out of this because the diary was back to back. It was stacked. What do you do? Do you compromise somebody else who's in the diary? Do you somehow miraculously have your team work through lunch and to the end of the day? Do you have her sit there nine months pregnant with back pain for three more hours waiting for somebody to, it doesn't happen, but FTA? What do you do? Well, you have to hold your hands up and say really really sorry but when she goes home with a you know a feeling of oh i thought these guys were my people yeah. that's disappointing what do you send her i sent her i sent her a um a voice note of massive apology and um our team sent her uh, laura jumped on the phone the following day and said we can't have you come down for another visit um like the way that you did we're going to pay your train fare and we also sent her a bunch of flowers in the post yeah and we're out of pocket we're out of pocket easily by 10, 20, 30 quid. Do I care? No. 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 You've done the right. It's not I'd about paying that short term. Go on. As a nine month pregnant woman with back pain, I'd have been like a chauffeur or a taxi. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do what you need to do that's appropriate. She'd already, you do. She's, she's, she's already people... going, right, I'm going to get the train. It's not a big deal. Yada, yada. At least let us pay your train fare. I would. I would. That's really nice. I would do something similar and not because you just said that. It's just the right thing to do. It's what a good human being does and that's got nothing to do with your clinical skills it's got nothing to do with your abilities as as anything other than just a caring human being but do you think that due to fear of the gdc we don't feel like we can say sorry or apologize and i know in this situation you know nothing bad happened clinically but do you feel as a profession we're not very quick to say sorry even for something as simple you know, always looking well, to pass the same or anything. Potentially, if you've selected the wrong patients to see, then the second you say sorry, you've opened the floodgates to things like dental law partnership and GDC. Whereas if you, I mean, this is my opinion, I'm sure Zach will come in on this as well, but if you've got the right patients, saying sorry isn't a problem. It's a privilege to be allowed to say it. Yeah, elaborate on that a little and say that saying sorry doesn't necessarily mean it's an admission of guilt or failure. I think that the, the, the classic thing is you were a kid and you had, you, you know, you had your, your finger wagged at you. I was taught by nuns in a Roman Catholic primary school. There's plenty of that. Um, and uh, there was plenty Even of I being, <laughs> there was plenty of being told off, right? I've so you instantly vision, think, sorry. sorry. Okay, I've done I've something just got visions of it being like Blues Brothers. <laughs> You can get him Similar. whacked with a ruler and swearing Similar. and then being whacked again. <laughs> um, see, the thing about it is that you can say sorry for what you're going through. I'm really sorry 
that this has happened to you. I'm so sorry. We I even say things to clients and patients like, I'm so sorry we screwed up. I'm so sorry we, we've messed that right up. That is not something we're proud of. And I assure you, this is something that we're, we're um, addressing as a team to make sure that collaboratively we make sure this doesn't happen again. And it's the tone, the timing, the tact of what you say and communicating with the right words to make that come across in a way that it is meant. Don't say it if you don't mean it, but in expressing yourself and what's in your heart in that moment, which is we've buggered this right up here, guys. You not only demonstrate to your team that you're the kind of people that take accountability. Imagine you're a new receptionist, front of house crew. You've been there one or two months. That becomes a, a moment in your early learnings about the culture of this place as to how you handle shit here. How hard can it be to do the right thing? And suddenly you potentially turn that negative moment into a loyal, potentially raving fan for the future, but also a loyal team member who goes, okay, so it's okay to say you screwed up around here. And thanks for backing me on that. Thank you. And exactly. even for the, the leader to take it going, because ultimately it is the, the owner's responsibility at the end of the day to not shout at, you know, the receptionist, you know, mistakes happen. We all have that. Um, but and actually the shows a very good culture. The person receiving that service, patient or client, is not going to respond well to you telling somebody off, a team member off, because that's not how good leaders function right i don't think i'm a perfect leader but at any given moment one of my roles is to challenge the status quo and yes to demonstrate what we believe in as an organization but you aren't going to win that battle by by finger wagging and and the old-fashioned over formal way i get through to my husband very well finger wagging i'll have you know <laughs> do you know what's sad is that in lots of other professions i'm sure you guys have read books like black box thinking so sad in other professions that they use failure as a learning mechanism as a, as a tool to how do we solve this for the future and not lose more airplanes what what is it that why is it that we have to revert back to that old-fashioned approach of oh something's gone wrong it must be one person because we know yeah. that this was a team Post failure <laughs> and the saddest thing about it is also that there are people that end up spiraling into personal problems that linger for years and decades after things like gdc ftp cases and all the rest of it right or even take their own lives yeah it's serious it okay? is serious and the reality of it is that that wasn't of their own solitary making there could easily have been a, me a method a process behind the scenes and i'll take it even one step further we're so pedantic about words in our in our clinic in fact it's something we've been sharing on social media in recent times little plug at zach's fast stories on instagram if you i do instagram. love it yeah, i love do it. love them i see a few of them <laughs> well, well the thing that, that that my team have been nagging me about for years is zach this stuff like nobody explains it like that nobody uses those analogies and stuff like that and i went yeah well most of the profession don't really speak English. Let's face it, they speak jargon. So um, they speak they speak technical, technicalities. So yes, I know I talk at 300 words per minute, but there are plenty of ways to speak English to people. And if you and your team, it becomes contagious, you're winning the battle from day one. Because if your receptionist says, oh, don't worry, we'll squeeze you in for a quick checkup. I'll, quick, I'll get you a quick emergency visit. Yeah. Well that set the tone Absolutely. for something that you're not going to deliver, right? It's, they're setting you up for a fail. I can't promise anything, but... Yeah, but... How many negatives can you read in that, that little phrase? There? I will just. Never will say just. just. Squeeze yeah. in. Nobody's ever in healthcare wanted to be squeezed in. Quick, 
No, nobody wants to be checked up on. I just said it earlier on. So that's all failure. My biggest pet peeve is, which I've, you know, completely forbidden it, was when people go, um, do you do NHS? And they go, sorry, we don't do. It's like, why are you apologising? I'm bloody happy I don't do any NHS. Don't you apologise for me? But Rachel, it'll take you six months to bash that out of the team. And that'd I be did. one of 50 things that it's you need to address. So well. a, a, a little thing that we do every day in our team is an end of the 10 minute meeting in the morning, we have a word of the day. And course, somebody in our team this morning, Lydia said to me, we need to, we need to extend this list. There needs to be more on this list. And I went, nope. This is a game of repetition. We do the same again and again and again and again yeah. because there's about a hundred things on that list, and we've been through them all repeatedly over the years. But just keep it's repetition. it into into their, yeah. their In, psyche. And so, for example, you don't call things a complaint; it's feedback. If you use the word complaint and go, oh, you can go to, the, you know, immediately everyone goes into like uh, compliance mode. Yeah. Oh, oh, but to do that, I'll get me, I'll get the complaints policy. I need to do it. And at the bottom, it says you can write to the GDC. And I'm like, shut up. Stop saying things like that because you're only going to take something out of control that could easily have been mediated in house. This yeah. is not a complaint. This is that they're unhappy about the it's fact an that they're crowded. It's opportunity to and do I, something different. There you well. go. And and the reality of what we do is is you know like crowned didn't fit. I'm you know in a treatment room. The, the way to solve that is I'm so sorry to tell you that the fit of that isn't how I'd have it in my own mouth. Yeah. What we do, as you know, is custom made. This is literally handcrafted just for you. And I'm so sorry to say that there's been a slight discrepancy between the scan that I took of your teeth or tooth and what Phil in the laboratory received in Leeds, yada, yada, yada. And before you know it, there's a slight issue that I want to solve. Would it be all right with you if we get this temporary back on? We know that it's pain-free temporarily. We'll schedule an extra uh, visit and I assure you there'll be no hidden costs or extra surprises. My method of approaching that type of scenario is preempt it. And preempting everything in dentistry can generally be done with communication. But I totally get when your treatment room is new, your nurse is new, something's different about that particular day, something went wonky on your journey to work. It wasn't quite as flowing as your normal daily life. And something didn't quite come out in your normal spiel. So once in a while, things screw up. The way that I approach those types of things is I actually begin every appointment, every visit where somebody sits down in the chair, shoot the breeze for a bit. I make sure everything's good, you're happy, you're healthy, what's happening in your life at the moment. And when we get down to business, the thing that I transition with, so I segue into, so let's make sure we're on the same page about what to expect today. What's on your mind and what, are you, what have you come to see us for? That's my kind way of saying, you know that thing when you're taught in oral surgery? I went to University of Sheffield as an undergrad. I was taught in oral surgery. Ask them at the beginning, what, you what tooth are you having out today? Right? That's your consent, <laughs> pro but, but it's done in a gentle, kind, non-hospital way, Right. What's on your mind as to how we can help you best or what you're expecting to happen today, right? What you're doing there is making sure that person is in the right headspace. And so what I'm doing is I'm using that as an opportunity to contort their mindset. If they're going, I'm having my crown on today, my approach would generally be what we're actually going to do is make sure that this crown fits correctly. I'm going to make sure it's sealed perfectly around the edges. A crown is like a lid on a jar. It's got to be sealed all the way around the edges to stop bacteria getting in, but it's got to be the right thickness to make sure that when you bite down on it, it's strong, it's protected. So those types of verbal flows would become part of my automatic every day. And what happens is we go, worst case scenario, thankfully this happens one time in a thousand. It may be that we need to rescan this tooth and send it back to our laboratory for, to see what happens. And you know what? Suddenly that person goes, all right, so there is, there are a couple of avenues out of today. And so you didn't need to flip your lid. You'd have gone, I'm so sorry to say, Phil, Dave, Rodney, whatever his name is, you're the one in thousand. I'm so sorry to say that's you today, but I will make sure this is solved. 
And also what that ha what happens behind the scenes is you're demonstrating your collaborative with your external team members as well, which makes Rachel look like a, the, the, the good egg, not the she's going to go and give him a bollocking behind the scenes, right? Thanks for, thanks for the insights tonight, uh, Zach. Those have been, uh, I think, incredibly valuable. I think a lot of people will pick up uh, a lot of tips from there, especially with regards the the flow of people and how to, you know, just respect other people. Um, thank you again for coming on. Uh, and I'm sure this is the time to just plug your Instagram again. So go for it. Mine is at Zach's Smile Stories and the practice is at Smile Stories Official on Instagram. And I think everybody should take a look at that when they've finished listening to this. I can contest. This. It's really good. I've got some little pearls and gems saved on my instagram to go it's back all there to, to be plagiarized you know the way to grow as a human being in dentistry is to develop those human skills some people call them soft skills they're human skills it's being a person that's legit that's um that's a real version of you not putting on your front and your fake every day it's being the best version of you and delivering what we do best which is the hard skills and that's the stuff that you go on pay all these courses you know you go to these really expensive weekend courses and all the rest for how about spending some time reading some books, going to on, on some courses, watching some videos on how to adapt your daily verbal flows, which massively stand you in good stead. Mm -hmm.